Good morning, everybody. It is June 6th in the 42nd year after Bobby Eiler was born. How are you? It is, uh, let's see, the Nevada City June shoot is going on right now. And I don't know if you guys have heard, but Saturday, Mark Rubio shot a 921, going ahead and proving that children are indeed not the future. The future is old guys. Uh, a 921, for those who don't know the scoring system, is three down. Um, let me see, uh, 921, I believe it's not 28 targets. 924 is a perfect score divided by 22s. It's going to be, that's like 40 some odd targets there. That Rubio, 40 plus targets, Rubio shot, two arrows target, 11, 10, 8 scoring. And the dude only dropped three. That's huge. Can you imagine shooting 80 targets, 90 targets, possibly even 100 targets, and only dropping three? Like not getting, missing only three? That's incredible. Good job, Mark. Uh, the high 20s is where I believe a pro should shoot at. And, um, you know, I would... Mark's just going out and proving that, you know, you stick with it, uh, you're going you're gonna to kick ass. And, you know, I, I, I'm fairly certain Mark Rubio practices. I would like to figure out how, how he practices and what his routine is like. Um, and I, when I do find that out, I will share it with all of you. So, uh, today's podcast, we are talking about arrow tuning. Um, in my last podcast, I talked about arrow building, and I got a couple of interesting comments. And the first was, why don't you talk about arrow tuning? Um, and then a good friend of mine, uh, Fred, is kind of like a, uh, what is it? He's, I don't want to say his job title, but he knows ballistics really well. And he was like, you know, your podcast was mostly bullshit. And I was like, well, why? Like, please explain. And he said, ballistics. It's like the weight of the arrow matters. And if you have wild variations or deviations in your arrow weights, it will affect you downrange. And I did some reading on this, and he is indeed right. And I'll go into why I said what I said. But uh, anyway, let's dive right into it. I have a lot to cover, and I'm going to cram a bunch of shit into your brain. Um, the first is that there is a belief that compound shooters don't tune arrows. And with the exception of knock tuning, if you guys listened to the last one, I talked about spine indexing and knock tuning and whether or not we were finding the stiff side of the carbon or we were finding the tolerance difference in your pin bushing, whatever it may be, that is something that you can do to make all your arrows the same. Um, I would consider that a form of arrow tuning. Uh, the term arrow tuning, I believe, is like a recurve shooter term. I've heard Tim Gillingham say that in Europe, uh, that in Europe they are more focused on tuning arrows, and in the United States they focus more, or the shooters focus more on tuning the bow. Either way, you're going to do one or the other, but that does make sense. Um, the reason why we don't have to do as much as compound shooters, as recurve shooters do, is because we shoot a superior bow. And that makes it so we can get away with 
shooting uh, an arrow that's not quite as tailored. And I know what's going to happen. It's like a bunch of recurve shooters are going to be like, um, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, you, you just said that your bow is superior. Like, I'm not saying we are superior people. I'm just saying as a piece of equipment, the compound bow is a superior, for the function, is a superior piece of equipment. And I'm not saying recurve shooters are nerds or recurve shooters are not cool people because some of you guys are um what i'm saying is you guys are shooting a bow that it is harder to you know put it in the middle therefore arrow tuning becomes more of a thing for you guys also you guys don't have the range of adjustability in your bow so you have to find it somewhere else i.e the arrow um what else uh you guys also have to do weird shit like if you're a bare bow shooter you have to find your point on which is your aiming reference you know um you know compound shooters we still have to find the proper spine so we still have spine charts uh i believe i you know i firmly believe that too weak of an arrow is the only thing we have to worry about um but truly if if you don't believe in knock indexing or spine indexing then arrow tuning, like as a as a definite as a term, is mainly a recurve thing. Um, but I will say I do tune, you know, tune arrows for indoor shooting. Uh, it's one of the great things I like about the aluminum twenty seven twelve is that you can shoot it, pull a point out of it, cut cut the end of it, put a point back in and shoot it. An infinite amount of times. You can also cycle through a million different points and not, well, I mean, I'm not a metallurgist, but it seems like that arrow stays the same. <laughs> and you can molest that arrow as much as you want and, uh, you know, see what kind of results you get. For indoor, uh, arrow length, point weight, vein selection are all, they seem much more crucial for a big fat indoor arrow. Um, but yeah, diving right into this, uh, you know, I wanted to explain, I didn't want to just come out and just insult recurve archers right away. You know, I wanted to explain why, why we have different tuning methods. And I, I believe I could be wrong, but I believe this has something to do with the, uh, the archers paradox, which is when you shoot an arrow, when you're a recurve shooter and you shoot an arrow, that arrow bends. Now, if you think horizontally, so that's side to side, it bends side to side around the riser and uh it's to get that i believe it's vein clearance it could also be shaft clearance because when you shoot narrow it it bends um and on the recurve arrow it bends side to side and you're trying to get that arrow to kind of snake its way around the riser uh i'm not a recurve shooter so i am just guess i'm just telling you i believe i heard this when i was first getting into it, or maybe I overheard a bunch of trad shooters uh, talking about this when they were, you know, getting off their horses, but I'm pretty sure that's the, the archer's paradox, is like the bend of the arrow, and compound bows, and the way they shoot, and the way we shoot them with uh, release aids, our arrows flex a different way, they flex vertically, and I've seen this on pictures and videos of myself shooting. Um, and I've always wondered whether or not that was a spine issue or my bow being out of tune. But um, I guess 
like just from I think it was the Easton manual that I was just like thumbing through really quick, the Easton tuning guide, that the uh, the arrow actually flexes up and down on compound bows. So you don't need an arrow to flex to get around a riser with a compound bow. I guess maybe it could also be because recurve archers are shooting with their fingers and that finger release is creating the, you know uh, a big variation that's causing the, the, the ass end of the arrow to whip around. So, you know, maybe that's the, the main difference. I, I don't know. I don't know. I only shoot compound. I've shot recurve for just a little bit and it was a lot of fun, but I like hitting the middle. So I went back to shooting compound. Um, I, I do believe this is another reason why, you know, the, the ways these arrows behave coming out of the bow, uh, and how it's different from compound to recurve is why compound bows, you can get away with shooting a stiffer arrow. So that is the main reason why I didn't get too deep into arrow tuning. And I, I don't mean to be bow racist, but I, uh, am doing this podcast mainly for compound shooters because compound is what I know. I don't know. I'm not going to give you guys a bunch of advice on shit that I don't know about. And I might, but it'll be compound related. And you will see me on the field someday and you can get right in my grill about it. <laughs> but, you know, it'll probably be at a tournament that's mostly compound shooters. Um, all right. So another form of tuning is bear shaft tuning. And this is done differently uh, with the two styles of, of bows. Um, if you have a compound bow, you can most of the time get that bear shaft to hit with your flex, with your fletch shaft by moving your arrow rest, um, moving your cam, uh, yoke tuning, what have you. Um, and with a recurve, you're going to do this with cutting the arrow length, changing the spine, changing your point, I'm guessing all kinds of stuff like that. We can do that as compound shooters. That is a legitimate thing that we can do as well. You know, it takes way more time to do that than just adjusting your bow, but maybe it gives you even better results. Did I mention that Mark Rubio shot a 921? Like, man, I don't mean to get off track, but that is in my mind right now. I would love to figure out more about what Mark's doing. But anyway, let's get back to this. Um, According to the Easton charts, or the Easton tuning manual, if your bear shaft, bear shaft hits to the right, your spine is too weak. If it hits to the left, it's too stiff. And if the bear shaft hits middle, you're good. Uh, I do believe bear shaft tuners will put a little bit of electrical tape or some kind of tape on the back of their arrow to simulate the weight, the 11 or so grains of, uh, of uh, fletchings. Otherwise, you'll get your bear shaft hitting a little bit higher, I think. Um, but you know, what you're doing, if you're a recurve shooter, you're trying to get that, that arrow to hit middle. So you don't have like weird, I'm guessing center shot issues. Um, or you're just not, you're just not getting like a weird tear through paper. Bear shaft tuning for a compound shooter is just paper tuning under a microscope. And most of the time I call it at a clean paper tune. And then what I'll do is I'll, I'll get a, a good bullet hole through paper. I'll go get my 20 yard mark and I'll adjust my sight so that my sight is lined up. I don't know how many times I've talked about this, but I'll adjust my sight at 20 yards so that, that I'm hitting right in the middle. 
and then I'll step back to like 80 or 100 and then I'll I'll shoot and just bump usually it's so close I just got to bump my rest one way or another to get the arrow and center shot and everything to line up paper tear is usually better afterwards so that's that's my whole thing uh I've heard I think it was Greg Poole saying um Oh, let me do my impression of pool. You take your bear shaft and you, you just use it as a reference. So that's that is a good point. If you can't make the bear shaft hit right on top of your flat shaft, you're gonna take. You're just gonna use that bear shaft and where it hits as a reference and to make sure that you know if your bear shaft's hitting a little bit to the right and you're out somewhere and you shoot that something's a little off with your bow and you shoot that bear shaft and it hits to the left, you know something's moved. Something's wildly different now. So that's a good, you know, uh, it's a good point that he made, that you can always use the bear shaft as a reference to make sure something hasn't moved. Now you got to remember what distance you shot it at to remember the reference. So make it 20 yards or something like that. Um, but yeah, most people, if you tune in bear shaft tuning, uh, you're just going to move your yokes, your limb pocket, your top hat, whatever, however you tune your bow, that's how you're going to do it. Also, one thing that I've noticed is that torque applied to your grip is going to be the thing that rules where your bear shaft lays. And maybe you guys are going to say, oh, well, duh, Wendell. But I don't know if you know how many of us grip our grip and torque our bows and don't know it. Like, my, just my, my form is such crap that I torque my bow quite a bit. And... Uh, I tell you, like bear shaft tuning for me is is a whole different a whole different thing. That's why I usually call it a paper because. And another thing, have you guys ever tried to torque tune your bow with bear shafts? If you have any flaws in your form, torque tuning your bow with bear shafts isn't possible. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. You can torque tune it with with veins, but not not bear shaft. So, um, yeah, there there is that. Um, so in doing this, my buddy, you know, I started looking into, I don't want to, I, I want to make this podcast as good and educational for you guys as possible. So when my buddy sent me this message saying like, hey, um, you didn't talk about arrow tuning at all. I did as much research that one person can do in 30 minutes about arrow tuning. And I came across something very interesting. And it's something I I. I knew about, I I dove into it years ago when I was still pretty green and trying to get, you know, as many, as many points as I could. And hey, let me tell you guys, I know in that last podcast, I was like, oh, you could do this, but you don't need to do this. You could do this, but you don't need to do that. Remember guys, this is the game of marginal gains. If you have the time, do all of it. Do everything to make your gear as good as possible. And then don't make any excuses afterwards. You, like ultimately, rule your gear out of excuses. And so, my buddy was like, "Hey, uh, you know, you didn't talk about arrow tuning at all." And I dove into all the different methods of methods of arrow tuning, and I thought, "Yes, I did. I covered most of it." Um, but one thing that I didn't talk about is node tuning. And I don't know if you guys know what node tuning is. But node tuning, if you look at your, your arrow and, and you're a recurve guy or a compound guy, 
just you gotta look at it from a different you know 90 degrees um your arrow is going to bend right when you shoot it that arrow bends and it bends and two points on that arrow will always like if you draw an, an invisible straight line to the target there's two points on that arrow that will not deviate from that line or if they do it'll be very little and these points are usually a couple inches behind the point and then a couple inches in front of the knock and those are the arrow nodes and uh, I remember reading about this and I was like oh man it was George Riles that was all about node tuning <clears throat> and I was like I wonder if he still if he even does this still and I just googled node tuning and a George Riles video popped up where he's building the arrows at some kind of convention teaching a bunch of people how to build arrows at a convention and I was like oh well this is old for sure and I looked at the date and it was last year so he does still do this and so um, I don't know if it's just George Riles or if this is an Easton thing also uh, but basically you're, so, you, you know, like I said, your arrow bends, and then there's points on that arrow that stay in line while it's flexing, if you can picture that. If you, uh, it's like two kids swinging a jump rope around, right? They are the nodes, and that, that jump rope going up and down is the rest of the arrow. That's an exaggeration, but I'm trying to get it in your brain so you can figure out. Now, picture those two kids and that jump rope were hurling through space at 200 miles an hour and they're swinging that jump rope around those kids are the nodes and so the idea is you build your arrow and the length i remember i said this on the last one cut it to the rest now keep in mind gillingham says cut it to the rest or leave it a couple inches long i.e the mark rubio formula or you know cut it wherever you want and then torque just make sure you have adequate room to torque tune well George Ryle says, nay, nay, torque tune your crap first and then find the node on your arrow, the front node, and line that up over your arrow rest. Now, if that's a lot to digest for a minute, it's because I just threw a lot of crazy words at you. That is, that's crazy. And it's freaking cool if you think about it. And he was saying the reason why you can do this or why you should do this is solely because of the way you find like the way you find the node is you have your arrow and you place it against the the like you hold the back end of your, your arrow right and you will place it like on the corner of a table and then you will flex the arrow with your thumb and then kind of like flick release it and the arrow will pop up the nose of the arrow will pop up on the table and then it will settle back on the table and you can kind of do this like thumb flick and it will bounce, you know, it'll bounce your arrow up and down. You can move that arrow forward and back and the corner of the table simulates your arrow rest. All right. So can you guys picture that for me? And the, as you move it away from the point or the carbon, the front carbon and away from the point, there will be a point that when you flick that arrow, it doesn't move. It just goes, it's dead. And that is your front node. The idea of that is, is when you shoot, if you line your arrow rest up right under that node and you shoot, the, there is no forces being applied. Like that arrow is not flexing into your arrow rest. And you get like really clean 
uh, I would imagine, horizontal groups. I, I didn't listen to all of it because, uh, well, maybe I did. I can't remember. I, I, I have not smoked weed in a long time, and it's starting to affect my memory, believe it or not. So, <clears throat> but um, that's the thing. If your arrow's flexing, if you can picture your arrow's flexing, remember those the two little girls with the jump rope, right? Um, if your arrow rest is on the rope, what, when you shoot, that rope is going to flex into your arrow rest. But if your arrow rest is sitting on the front little girl or the front kid, I guess boys also play jump rope this, these days, but um, when you shoot, there is no vertical force being applied to your arrow rest. It's like ultra clean. And um, so I thought, wow, that's, that's really cool. Uh, I remember this from a long time ago, but I've never done it. And I thought, well, maybe I, I you know, I've already built all my arrows. And I've always, like the best arrows I ever shot were the, the Gillingham style cut right up to the blade. So I thought, well, maybe I'll take my my uh, really short arrows now, I'll undo the torque tune, and I will place them right under the node. I found the node on my arrows by doing that little flick test, and then I put my arrow rest right underneath it. That means I moved it way back. So torque tune, completely out now. And I'm just going off of the node tune of the arrow. I think ideally, you would torque tune your bow first, and then cut your arrows to length accordingly, right? Um, you know, you're gonna have to air, it's gonna change the way you dictate spine, but if you air a little bit on the stiff side, I don't think it'll matter, I think you'll be okay. So I did this, I went out and shot at 90 yards. 100 yards is what I wanted to do, but it was foggy, and I wanted to get good results and share this with you guys. Um, they shot good. Like, the groups were good. With my arrow rest, it slammed all the way back. That's a torque tune was shit, right? But if you guys think about it, you should be torque, even if you torque your bow, you should be doing it repeatedly. So torque tune shouldn't be all that, right? Um, but basically, I went out there, shot 90 meters, or 90 yards, had a really good group. And I was like, all right, maybe this is something. But you can't just do that and then prescribe it. So I was like, all right, well, let me set it back to where the torque tune was and shoot another group. Well, the results were pretty night and day. That torque tune came out way effing better. Like the groups got even tighter. And 90 yards is where it's really gonna, it's gonna show you. If you make a bad shot at 90, it's gonna look ugly. It's gonna look like a car accident. But um, the torque tune came out looking really, like it was the clear winner between the two. So now I'm wondering what it would look like if you actually built your arrows around your torque tune. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know, when I build my arrows, I'm, I'm building them, I'm doing this all backwards. Like, it, ideally, I would build the arrow to where I have it, you know, everything on my bow right now. But I'm just going to what, you know, previously good setup was. And that was what I got going now. So, unfortunately... The setup I'm going to run isn't node tuning, unless someone out there wants to gift me some arrows that are longer than, I think these things are cut to like 25 inches. They're really short, They're like chopsticks. 
But unless someone out there gives me some arrows, I won't know for a little while. Um, I might be able to do this on some indoor arrows and let you guys know how that works out. But I don't know if this all applies to indoor as well. So I've always had really good luck with short arrows. Uh, I've had really good luck with long arrows. You can go either way. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I did, didn't really get too deep into arrow tuning because it's just not what... Like, we don't have to do that. Uh, you can. And I think where that comes in is going to be indexing, like knock indexing, and uh, node tuning. And, um, okay, That's, here's another thing. Po the last podcast, I kind of made fun of you if you wanted to do that. And the reason being is you get two dozen arrows and you start shooting. The more shooting you do, the better your groups are going to get. And I would argue that if you shoot more arrows, your groups will get better than if you have 12 arrows that are perfectly built. Whatever gain you get from perfectly built arrows, if you have less of them and you're shooting less, say you only have an hour to shoot every day, right? And it takes you, we'll say, 10 minutes to shoot 12 arrows and then a minute or two to go walk over to the target a minute to pull, and then you're going to take a picture of your group because you're like, oh, yeah, I'm posting this on Instagram. And then you walk back, and then you go shoot another 12, right? In that time, if you shot 24 arrows and then walked over, pulled them, you're going to get way more shooting done. And what's the best way to get better at shooting? It's not to go lift kettlebells, or it's not to go, you know, long-distance marathoning. It's to shoot. And they used to say this, and I, you know, I'm going to sound like a major bro here. I used to do jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu all the time. And my coach used to be like, you want to get better at jiu-jitsu? Well, do more jiu-jitsu, man. He's like, don't, go to, don't, like, don't worry about going to the gym. Go do more jiu-jitsu. And it's a good point. It's a good point. I think going to the gym definitely helped. But if you want to get better at doing something, the best way is to do it more. And so, you know, I kind of was saying like, the big benefit, make a bunch of arrows the same way, the same as you can. Don't worry about the specifics and go practice. And I do believe like some of the really good shooters out there, even my buddy, my buddy Austin, the, the guy that I'm prophesizing being like the world killer now, he is telling me that he's like, hey, your podcast is great, but you know, building perfect arrows is overrated. And you know, he, I do believe that to a degree, building perfect arrows is overrated because at the end of the day, it is about you breaking that shot in the middle. The more time, the, the less time you have in between, like, like if you're out there practicing, you can only practice for an hour, your enemy is walking to the target, pulling those arrows, taking your picture, and then walking back. That's the thing that's robbing you of practice. So if you have 24 arrows, you're going to get more shooting. And that's the thing that's going to, you're, you're practicing getting those shots to break middle. Right? That's the game of archery. I've, I've always told people, like, what are we doing exactly? You ever see those, like, uh, those kids that will, like, flip a bottle with some water in it, and then the bottle lands, on, like, ass down perfectly, and then doesn't fall over? We're ultimately doing that a hundred times in a row. That's what archery is. And so it, you, you're doing this trick. You're doing, like, a, a flick perfectly a hundred times over and over again and 
you know, building the arrow perfect, maybe that's like putting the right amount of water in there or whatever, but that's not learning that flick. It's not learning the perfect amount of flick to, to get that bottle to land right. So that's why I think building a lot of, you, you benefit more out of just getting more shooting in. So now I'm going to go through, I'm going to go back on what I just said because my buddy who's the ballistics pro, uh, he, he got me thinking like, well, you know, maybe I am wrong. And I kind of Googled what are the benefits of having a perfect arrow, you know, perfectly matched set of arrows as far as weight goes. Well, at 90 meters, it's actually pretty big. Uh, the amount of vertical deviation you get on an arrow at 90 meters just based on weight is pretty big. And I think what I read was saying that half a grain deviation in an arrow can cost you a full inch. Half grain. So that means if you have like, just say my, my Nano Pro is very light right now. They're like 900, or no, I'm sorry, one, 300 and, let me see. I believe they're 320. So if they're, you guys are gonna, I like actually listening to me weigh an arrow right now. 320 is what they're at. So I have to, according to this thing that I read, plus or minus 0.5 grains, half a grain can cost me a full inch. So that means if you're on the bottom, if you break a shot bottom of the 10, you are shooting a nine. And I mean, that all makes sense. <clears throat> but uh, I mean, if you break middle X, I think the point that I was trying to get to is if you can practice breaking middle X, that little deviation won't, won't ruin it for you. But I do believe the guys that shoot and hold the record for things like the 1440, we're just shooting a lot of arrows at 98 yards, I believe. Those guys, those guys that do really good, have a good matched set of arrows. Most of the time, the kind of shooting we do, we're only doing two arrows at 100, two arrows at 80, maybe two arrows at 70. But, you know, maybe there's something to it. I don't know. Uh, for my buddy Fred, who said this, I am going to weigh all my arrows. I'm going to write the weights on all these arrows, and then I'm going to go shoot them at 100 100 yards. If it's foggy, I'll do it at 90, and I'll test. I'll test this out and figure out what is more important. Is it the? I mean, is it the weight or is it the shooter? Ultimately, what it comes down to is it's the shooter. You know, you have to break middle. If you don't break middle, it doesn't matter how perfectly matched those arrows are. They're going to be not where you want them to be. And uh, you know, the the other thing that we all try to tune for is forgiveness. But what is forgiveness exactly? What do you guys consider forgiveness? Is that breaking outside the spot and the arrow landing in? Or is it that arrow landing exactly where the pin is? Everyone's got their own definition. I would say what I want in a good arrow bow combo is for that arrow to land exactly where that pin was, where it broke. Because if you are breaking, <laughs> if you're breaking shots at like nine o'clock and they're hitting X and then you're breaking shots at three o'clock and they land X, <laughs> There's something wacky going on <laughs> with your setup. And, you know, if it works, if you shoot a 924 like that, then God bless you. I'm all for it. So that was my, I, I mean, this is a relatively short episode. I didn't have too much to bring to you guys. Uh, let's see, did I miss anything here? We talked about arrow length, 
No, we didn't, but it's okay. You guys got what I was saying. No tuning, uh, vein clearance, all that. So that's what we got for this one. If you guys are shooting Nevada City today, good luck to you. 921, holy crap, is the score to beat. This is not a young guy's game anymore. So if you guys get a chance to talk to Mark, tell him that Wonder wants to interview him. And uh, yeah, let's get that going. Otherwise, everyone have a great weekend. This is kind of a short podcast. I'll, I'll come up with something better for you guys to chew on uh, next week, all right? Take care, everybody. I totally ended that podcast and forgot to thank my sponsors. Uh, big thank you to DB Custom Coatings. Um, they have straight up got me a whole new mic system because they were tired of <laughs> hearing my voice get real, real quiet when I turned away from the mic. Um, DB Custom Coatings, they do Coating. they're in Napa. If you hit them up on Instagram, uh, I believe it's DB Custom Coatings, and they do, I mean, if you guys haven't seen a, a Cerakoted bow, it, it's, it's badass, and I don't want to put down manufacturers' finishes, some of them are kind of cool, I particularly like all the Kuyu on the, on the PSEs, <laughs> but... Um, oh, and some of the last year's Hoyts had, had Kuyu also. Buckskin is like, I don't know if you guys remember, I had a Buckskin Prevail that was really cool back in the day. And then, uh, was it my, I got a 38, TRX 38, and I wanted it to be like Buckskin colored. I had Darren Cerakoted it. I believe it was Flat Dark Earth, and that looked badass. And... Now it's like everyone and their best friend has either OD Green or Flat Dark Earth or something like that. So now I'm kind of thinking, man, what can I do? What can I do that's different? I think I'm going to get my 38 G2 done. And I was hoping I could like say, hey, everyone, what color should I do? And I'd get like a thousand response. I got none. Apparently no one cares. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> no one cares what color bow I'm shooting. But I'm going to try to do something cool, something different. So I'm going to be hitting up Darren and Bet and asking them for uh, some Cerakoting pretty soon. I believe the camo bow rule got lifted, so I might try to get my 38 G2 to be camo. And uh, I just got my hunting bow dialed in real nice, so I'm not going to have that Cerakota until after deer season is over. But if you guys want a finish that is stronger than what they do from the, the factory, and if you want a finish that's more custom, DB Custom Coatings is where you should go. And then uh, my other sponsor is Carbon Craft Stabilizers. They are the mwah, best stabilizers on the market. Uh, if you don't mind waiting for Adam to build you some bars, he will build you the best bars out there. Yeah, you guys can call Impact Archery uh, to order some. I believe West Coast Archery can also get you some. Or you can find uh, you know, the email to order some on the Carbon Craft website. So thank you guys for listening. I'm uh, sorry I forgot all these sponsors. I was just like so into getting my node tuning across or my node tuning results across that I just forgot and was just too excited all around. So uh, you guys all have a wonderful weekend. I'm excited to see if anyone can, can anyone dethrone Mark Rubio? If they can, it's going to happen today. All right, guys. Uh, be nice to your waiters. Bye.